0: Good morning, church. Glad that you are here today. Uh, I don't know how excited you are about this particular day on the calendar. I'm just glad that it is the Lord's Day. Amen. And so we're going to put Jesus first in our life, Jesus first in our week, Jesus first in our hearts. I was thinking about some of the best costumes I've ever seen. And uh, here, here's one of them. This, this kid decided to be a toilet. And there's good news and bad news to this. The good news is that uh, he can put all of his candy right there in front of him. It's, it's going to be attached. He'll have a place for all of his candy. The bad news is that he will be in therapy in about 20 years. I promise you that. Uh, the, the second one that I ran into is Napoleon Dynamite. Anybody who picks this, uh, they just, we just know that they're right with the Lord or that there's something wrong with them, one of the two. I think that's Kip. And the cutest award, everybody say, oh, Man, that's, that's Run DMC. When I think of Run DMC, I, I don't visualize this, but this is about the cutest thing. But the winner, winner, chicken dinner definitely goes to anybody dressed up as Dwight in the office. That is an automatic winner, and uh, I like that. Well, it was seventh grade. I was standing in the back of the auditorium. It was before Sunday night church. Does anybody remember Sunday night church? There was a time that you went on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and it was one of those Sunday night uh, services. It was before church. I was in the very back, and everybody was talking about the lyrics up on the wall, but I couldn't see the lyrics on the wall. We were in the back, they were moving that overhead projector thing. Do you remember the overhead projectors, the transparencies that that would slide? And and an old man, he was probably 39 years old, an old man uh, said, Nathan, how about you try on my glasses? And I thought he was just joking around. But I tried him on, and I looked up at the screen, and all of a sudden, I could see. And I had this admission that I had to finally admit that I don't see clearly. And then from there, I had to go to the eye doctor, and I was in one of the most difficult decisions of my life, as the doctor would ask me, what do you see better, A or B, A or B, A or B? I don't know, I don't know, they look the same to me. And it's one of the most stressful situations any human being can ever be in. But it hit me when I left there, how odd. I couldn't see it, and I didn't know it. Now, if that can happen physically, don't you think that can happen spiritually? Now, all of us here today say, well, I'm the one who sees. I I can see spiritually, but one of the best things that can ever happen to us spiritually is when we finally raise up our hand and admit, maybe I don't see clearly. The passage today in Mark chapter 11 clarifies our sight line. It cleans our glasses where they're foggy, and it gives us new glasses if we need them. In Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 27, as we walk verse by verse through the gospel of Mark, it says, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. Verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Four times in a short passage, it uses the word authority. The big question, Jesus, who do you think you are? That was the question. Who do you think you are? By what authority do you have this? Who gave you this kind of authority? Who do you think you are? Well, the background of this is the day before, Jesus had walked into the temple courts. And he had turned everything upside down. Remember, he said, my house shall be called the house of, do you remember? Prayer. And he turned over the the money tables. He turned over everything and he said, you're doing everything wrong. You're doing everything wrong. Who do you think You are, Jesus. A few miles from here is the largest energy corridor in the world. I looked up some of the companies that put on their oil, or or, or that have headquarters there in the energy corridor. Uh, Shell Oil was one of them. And I just thought, what if I walked into Shell Oil headquarters, and I somehow got word of when the highest level board meeting is happening and what room it's happening. I somehow got access into that highest level, probably, prob- uh, probably the highest floor. And I somehow got access into the room and I walked in. I looked at all those corporate guys and uh, I said, what are you guys doing? You're doing everything wrong. They would look at me and say, who are you? <laughs> who do you think you are? What authority do you have? What do you know about oil? Or what if I walked into the front office at the Houston Texans headquarters and I, I, I ran into Janice McNair and I said, you're doing everything wrong. What do you think she would say? She would say, I'm all ears. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Something's not working here. And all God's people said, Amen. she wouldn't. She would say, who do you think you are? Well, Jesus walked into the religious corridor, not the energy corridor, the religious capital, the, the center of centers, the holy of holies was there. He walked into not only the holy city, but the holy place, the temple, and he said, you're doing everything wrong. And then in verse 28, it says, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? In other words, who do you think you are? By the way, it's not uncommon for people to think they have more authority than they really have. Have you ran into people like that? you think you've got more authority than you really have. There's a story of Muhammad Ali on an airplane, Uh, They couldn't take off because the flight attendant noticed that he didn't have a seatbelt on. And she said, "Uh, Mr. Ali, we can't take off until you put on your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. (laughs) And she said, That's true, but Superman don't need an airplane either. Now put on your seatbelt. (laughs) It's true that we sometimes think we have more authority than we really have. The title of this message is, I have it on good authority. And I just need you to know this I need this message. It's about authority. There is one who has authority which surpasses all other authorities, and his name is Jesus. He has all authority. I'm thinking today, I'm not the only one who needs this. I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of Americans. This country was built on pushing against authority. You don't tell me what to put in my body, you don't tell me what to put over my mouth. You don't tell me to wear a mask. You don't tell me to get a vaccine. You don't tell me to do this. Who do you think you are? We are, <laughs> we are built to push against authority. But when that leaks into our Christianity, uh-oh. Because Christ has all authority. You don't hear this message very much, do you? But this is not a minor detail in the New Testament. Let me walk through some of these. In Mark chapter one, verse 22, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of the law. I don't know if you remember this, but whenever Jesus would teach, he would say this phrase, you've heard that it was said, but I say. Remember that? You've heard it was said, but I say. What he was doing was absolutely pushing back against the local teachers and preachers of the area. You heard John say, and you heard Billy say, and and you heard Jerome say, but I say, whoa, who do you think you are? His authority wasn't just shown in his teaching, it was shown over the demonic world. In verse 27, amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. We learned that he has the authority to forgive sins in Matthew chapter nine, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. He has the authority to bring you into the family of God, to adopt you as children of his. In John 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, he gave them authority to be children of God to those believing in his name. It says this when he was praying to his father in John 17, for you granted him authority over all people. He has authority over who? All people. Wow. Wow that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And by the way, he not only has authority over all people, but he has authority over his own life. He has the authority to lay down his life, and he has the authority to take up his own life. Amen? Nobody took his life. He is the one who gave it. In John chapter 10, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Everybody say it. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. The scriptures say that he has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, in addition... The father judges no one. Instead, he has given the son absolute authority. Absolute authority to judge. Absolute authority. Unparalleled, unquestioned, absolute authority. We have a picture that God is the judge. At least I have that picture, that God's the mean one and Jesus is the one with compassion. Actually, God gave Jesus the authority to judge. We will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. He's the one who judges. Matthew 28 verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We could spend the rest of our time here this morning just going verse by verse through the New Testament, talking about the authority of Christ. There'd be nothing wrong with that. That would be a healthy Sunday morning for all of us. But I want to point out one more big one. Ephesians chapter one. This one just takes my breath away, beginning with verse 20. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in his heaven in his heavenly realms. Now watch this. Far above all rule and authority. He's even far above authority power dominion every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and god placed all things under his feet did you hear what we just read he has authority over all people he has authority over death he has authority over his own life he has absolute authority he has unparalleled authority he has all authority he is far above all authority he has authority over every power dominion and every name So we can argue about a lot of things and we can question a lot of things. We can question global warming. That's fine. You can question political ideologies. That's fine. You can question corporate directives. That's fine. But we cannot question the authority of Jesus Christ. He has all authority. And then it culminates in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Man, we speak of, of Christ as friend and savior and companion, but he is ruler and he has all authority. By the way, that's why the religious leaders hated him. That's why the religious leaders hated him because he had all authority. Did you know this? This, I never heard anybody talk about this. Did you realize that Jesus never once asked the religious leaders for permission to do anything? That's what you're supposed to do back then. You're supposed to ask the rabbis, the religious leaders. for. He never asked permission one single time. He just did it. And it drove him up the wall. That's why the religious leaders hated Jesus. And when Jesus faced his death, he'd already been flogged. He's standing before Pilate. Do you remember Pilate asked him a question and Jesus didn't answer the question? Do you remember what is said in John 19 verse 10? Pilate said to him, you won't speak to me? Yo, dude, I'm Pilate. Do you know who I am? Do you not know that I have authority? To release you in authority. To, do you know who you're talking to, Jesus? <laughs> Imagine that. There's Pilate bragging about his authority in front of God in the flesh. Mercy. <laughs> and Jesus answered him in verse 11, dude. Okay, that's not in the translation really. But there had to be an eyebrow raised. It was a bloody eyebrow. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And there was a moment, just FYI, I would have liked to have seen this moment. There was a moment when uh, when Pilate left this earth and he stood before the judgment seat of Christ and he went, oops. You have absolute authority. I want us to see a critical factor in this passage before we move to chapter 12. In verse 28, of chapter 11, it says, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked, who gave you authority to do this? And what they're really asking is, what training do you have? What college did you go to? What seminary? Tell me the degrees. Tell me the letters behind your name. Who gave you this authority? Verse 29, Jesus, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me. I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John, uh, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. And it appears that Jesus is dodging the question. He's not. Because in those days, one of the ways that they would answer a question was they would give you a question back. And when you answered the question back, that would answer your question. So he wasn't being rude. He wasn't being mean. That was Jesus's way of answering that question. But in verse 31, it says, they it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, and they realized Jesus just trapped us By the way, don't challenge Jesus (laughs) in a question and answer. Jesus will win every time. In verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. (laughs) Finally, the best thing they ever said. We don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And Jesus doesn't answer their question. 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 I simply want to point out this. It's a scary thing to get to the point where you've sufficiently heard the gospel. You've been around Jesus. You've heard the teachings of Jesus. You've seen the power of Jesus. You know about salvation through Jesus. And Jesus has nothing left to say to you but words of judgment. He doesn't even answer. If they can get to that point, we can get to that point where we're in the United States of America, where Jesus is plastered on every Facebook post that you'll see this week, and yet you've heard all that there is about Jesus, but you've never given him authority, you've never put him in charge in your life, and there can come a point where he doesn't even answer your questions anymore, and all he has for us are words of judgment. And then in chapter 12, he gives an illustration of what's gonna happen to them. Verse one, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. If if you've ever been around a farm, you know this this is a thing. A person can buy the land, build the barns, buy the equipment, buy the tractor, buy the combine, get everything together. But because he lives somewhere else, he hires tenant farmers. He hires somebody else to work the land. And there's usually a deal. It's usually, I don't know, two-thirds, one-third. Two-thirds of the profit go to the tenant farmers. One-third goes to the landowner. Could be three-fourths, one In those days, two-thirds, one-thirds was pretty common. And then the owner sends a servant to go collect what is rightfully his. In verse 3, but they seized the servant, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. This is shocking. He's simply going to collect his rent, and they're beating or they're killing The servants. Now, let me interject this. Everything you own belongs to Him. Everything you own belongs to Him. You are living your life on loan. Every breath you take, it is because He gave you that breath. Amen? Which means that the time that He's given you, we ought to give a portion of it back. The resources that he's given us, we ought to give a portion of that back. The talents and the gifts and the energy that he has given us, we ought to give a portion of that back. That's not a bad deal. That's a good deal. Every, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We came into this world with nothing, and we are going to leave this world with nothing. Everything belongs to him, which means if he's the authority in your life, we owe him. A portion of our time our body our energy our talents our resources and in this illustration God is the landowner Israel is the people so here's the question is Jesus in charge of your life that's the question Is Jesus in charge of your life? And many will say, yes, he's in charge of my life. Well, then here's my second question. When there's a question between what you think and what God thinks, who gets their way? When there's a disagreement between what the scriptures say and what you want to do, who wins? Is Jesus in charge of your life? If he's the authority, he wins every time. Truth be told, there are Christians, and there may be some in here, I don't know, I don't look at the books, but there are Christians that don't give any money back to the Lord. And you can say whatever you want about that, but the only thing there is to say about that, if that's you, is that Jesus is not the authority in your life. You are the authority in your life. That's the only way that could possibly happen. And there are Christians who may give a little, they give a little bit of scrap back to the landowner. There are Christians who don't serve in the church, but the scriptures are clear. We are part of the body of Christ. You're the shoulder, the elbow, the wrist, the mouthpiece, the nose, the ear, the leg, the arm, whatever it is, and we are to be connected. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, or the entire New Testament, Acts chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4. The entire New Testament talks about the importance of us being connected to the church, but if you are a spectator in the church, if you're just chilling in the church and you're not connected and you're not serving Serving, you're in charge of your life Jesus is not in charge of your life you are the authority Jesus is not the authority because the scriptures are clear here's all I know when he's in charge you get back to him because he's given to you you get back to him because well Nathan you don't know what's happened to me in the church oh I'm probably on your side on it well I've been hurt in the church I have to. let's tell stories after church but those scriptures aren't for people who haven't been hurt in the church because if they were only for people who haven't been hurt in the church, there would be no church. The question is, who is in charge of your life? So the farmer sent servant after servant after servant after servant after servant to collect his rent, and they were beat and killed, beat and killed, beat and killed, and then the farmer says, maybe if I send someone more special, to me they'll treat him better verse 6 he had one left to send a son whom he loved he sent him last of all saying oh they'll surely respect my son They rejected and killed, rejected and killed. And what this is a picture of is God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet prophet to his people. And they beat and they killed and they beat and they killed and they beat and they killed each and every prophet. And then the Father in heaven from the splendor of heaven sent his son to earth. And he says, if I just send my son, surely everybody on earth will respect my son. And they will give him all authority. And they will give him just due and just honor and just respect and then then they killed his son verse 7 but the tenants said to one another this is the heir come let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours so they took him and killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard they murdered him in cold blood they murdered him in cold blood and we murdered him in cold blood. Verse 9. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? And all the listeners are hanging on every word because they know this. They're like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You treat the landowner's son like that? I'll tell you what he's gonna do. He's gonna give him the death penalty. He's going to give them what they deserve, capital punishment. And then he's going to go find some tenants who will respect him and some tenants who will honor him and some tenants who will actually respect the rent that the landowner has given. Verse 9, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. They were foolish enough to think if we kill the son, then we get to own the farmland. And as the religious leaders are hearing this parable, they go... Uh Uh-oh. And it's at this moment they realize he's talking about us. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about religious leaders. Verse 10 and 11. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? We sang it earlier. The stone the builders rejected has become the church cornerstone. It's what lays the foundation of a building. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it's at this moment that they realize they have rejected the messiah this is what peter says in acts chapter 4 jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone salvation church venture salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved if you end up in heaven if I end up in heaven, it will not be because of my morality. It will not be because of my good record. It will not be because of my sermons. It will not be because of my studying. It will not be because of Buddha. It will not be because of Muhammad, It will not be because of Confucius. If I end up in heaven, it will be because of one man, and his name is Jesus. And he has all authority. And so how does it end? Amazingly, in verse 12, you would think it would end... Then the chief priest went down on their knees and repented. Not so. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him <laughs> because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. And when they were presented with the gospel, when they were presented with the good news of Jesus Christ, they were cut to the heart the Holy Spirit convicted them, and they had two choices, just like we have two choices today. They had two choices. They could reject or they could repent, the go- uh, repent of the gospel. They could reject God or they could repent. They could reject His authority or they could give Him all authority. Instead, they plotted to murder Jesus rather than submit. And we think, how could they do that? How could you do that? Oh, it happens all the time. It'll happen all over greater Houston this morning. And I pray that this would not happen, but it could happen in this room where the gospel of Jesus has been presented and you have two options, I have two options to reject or repent. And so here's the question for the morning. Does Jesus have authority in your life? Let me put it a different way. Does Jesus have veto power in your life? Does Jesus have veto power where he gets to reverse what you think is right? Where you decide, you know what? Sunday morning, I think these things are important. Does Jesus have veto power? And say, actually, this is more important. Does Jesus have veto power in your life? Now it says it in your salvation moment. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 if you declare with your mouth, everybody read it with me, Jesus is Lord. That's another way of saying Jesus is king, Jesus is ruler, Jesus has all authority. And it's not just believe, it was never just believe. The demons believe, it was never just believe and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But in, in your, if Jesus is not the authority in your life, can I just tell you, you might not be saved? I, I can't say that. If Jesus is not the authority in your life, you are not saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what many say is I want Jesus as my savior, But at the end of the day, I have veto power over Jesus. This happens at baptism all the time. There might be people in here who believe and you trust in Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Even though in Acts chapter two, verse 38, in the first day of the church, when they asked Peter, how do we be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, who? Every one of you, in the name of Jesus, every one of you, So when I sit down and talk about baptism with people, when I talk about immersion, being immersed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's never about baptism. It's about who's the authority in your life. Because if he's the authority in your life, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's his words. It's not about baptism. It's about authority. So the real question today is, who is the authority in your life? And as we close, I I just want to tell you, usually at the end of the service, I go out into the lobby and I try to shake as many hands as I can and greet all the visitors. And I know we have visitors here today and I'd love to visit with you. But this morning, I want you to know, I'm going to be right down here. And if you want to talk about salvation, if you want to talk about, Nathan, I, 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 I never made Jesus authority. I never made Jesus Lord. I never made him king. I never made him ruler. I never made him in charge. Nothing would make me happier. Nothing would make the Lord happier than for us to have that conversation today. Let's pray.